Hey guys, welcome to episode 117 of the This Can't Be That Hard podcast. Now, the first 116 episodes of the podcast were dedicated entirely to the business of photography, but today we're going to be doing something a little different. So a couple of months ago, I booked a trip to Iceland for the summer. I had gotten my vaccine. Iceland was offering really good fares and was open to vaccinated people. So I just went for it and was like, I'm going to schedule this trip. It's going to be super fun. And the closer I got, obviously, I started thinking about what camera gear I was going to bring with me on my trip. And for a while now, I have been considering when it's going to be time to switch from DSLR, because I currently shoot a Canon 5D Mark IV, to mirrorless. I know that mirrorless is sort of the future of photography. They're kind of phasing DSLR systems out. I have been kind of slow to make the switch because you guys know I don't like to buy gear unless I absolutely need to. And, you know, my camera's been serving me well. But I was like, wow, going on a trip like this where I'm going to be doing tons of hiking and maybe don't want to carry around my heaviest gear might be the perfect time to try out a mirrorless system. I don't have a client, you know, depending on me to nail the shot, I can sort of take my time and learn different things. So I started looking into which systems I might want to try out. And (laughs) to be honest, I got a little overwhelmed, as I often do when it comes to researching gear. I am not a gearhead, and I know what I want. I know what I need my gear to do, but I honestly cannot stand listening to these like bros talk about (laughs) their number of megapixels and stuff like that. Like I I get it. I understand what those things mean. I just don't want to hear that conversation over and over again. And when someone gives a review of gear, oftentimes it's really focused on sort of the tech aspects of the gear and not its functionality. So as I'm wading through all this stuff and looking into renting gear for my trip, it occurred to me (laughs) that maybe I'm not the only person out there who gets frustrated by that sort of super techie gear rundown and would instead prefer somebody to be like, hey, this is how I use my camera. This is what I need. And this is why I chose what I chose uh, when I chose a particular piece of gear. And so I called up my friends at B&H and said, hey, I'm going on this trip and I'm considering getting into mirrorless and I'd love to chat with you guys. So today's conversation is Exactly that. It is the conversation that I had with Gabriel Biederman from B&H, who was kind enough to sit down with me, talk about all of the different things that I am looking for in a mirrorless system, and then make some recommendations about what camera or cameras and what systems I should be considering and why. I hope that for those of you who maybe still in the DSLR space and considering mirrorless. Hopefully this will be helpful for you. I know it was hugely helpful for me. And this is part one of what will be two episodes. When I come back from Iceland, I'm going to record a follow-up where I talk about the gear. Of course, I'm also going to be sharing that on social media, but talk about the gear, talk about what I chose and why in a way that will hopefully be a little more practical rather than technical. Anyway, Here's my conversation. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to This Can't Be That Hard. My name is Anami Tonkin, and I help photographers run profitable, sustainable businesses that they love. Each week on the podcast, I cover simple, actionable strategies and systems that photographers at every level of experience can use to earn more money in a more sustainable way. Running a photography business doesn't have to be that hard. You can do it, and I can show you how. Hey, Gabriel, it is so great to have you on This Can't Be That Hard. How are you today? Yeah, it's great. This is awesome. Thank you for this opportunity. No, no, the opportunity is mine. I'm so excited. I have been looking forward to this trip for a long time, and I feel like having, well, you're a photographer. You know how it goes. It's like I feel like I experience places almost more. It's like more of an experience for me when I am thinking really specifically about the photos that I'm taking, even though 
I'm a people photographer. Uh, when I go someplace with amazing landscapes, I like to try my hand at those things. And I feel like it makes, it helps me like remember them more. So to add this layer of like, I have new cameras to play with and all that sort of stuff is pretty exciting. So thanks to you and to B&H for kind of being part of this project. Well, you're welcome. And, it, you know, we do live in a golden age of photography right now, especially yeah. obviously on the digital photography and especially on the mirrorless front. Yeah. So um, I hope soon, someday soon they'll just be called cameras again instead of this mirrorless versus DSLR. I mean, mirrorless is the future. It's just, yeah. you know, we'll see. I, I, uh, not many DSLRs will be coming out in the near future, so it just will probably be cameras. But exciting times and really, really kind of, Somewhat easy, though I know there's a lot of choices out there, but it's it, it can be a little bit easier than ever to find the right tool to match your vision. Well, I really appreciate the opportunity to like actually have this conversation. And the reason that I came to you guys about doing this on the podcast is that, I, you know, so I feel like a little bit of a dinosaur that I'm still... DSLR bound, but <laughs> I've been at this a long time and, you know, you know, the tools that, you know, and you kind of get into a rut and I, my listeners know I'm a big, like, don't spend money until, you know, really good and well, why you're spending that money, especially when it comes to things like gear, because I do think mm-hmm. that in the hands of someone who knows what they're doing, just about any gear can do the job it needs to do. But at some point with the technology moving along, like you kind of have to keep pace and you don't want to wait until you are dealing with like <laughs> a camera that you don't get uh, technical support on anymore or, you know, system uh, software updates. So I feel like now it seems to me that now is the right time for me to switch. Now, currently I am shooting Canon. I am on the Mark IV. Prior to that, I was a Nikon shooter for several years, and I only switched over to Canon because the person that I share my studio with was a Canon shooter and had a lot more gear than I did. So I was like always sad that I couldn't pilfer the closet because (laughs) our systems didn't match. So then I went, but I never wanted to switch uh, before the Mark IV came out because of the low light issues that I found whenever I borrowed the Mark three, like it just, that ISO couldn't get pushed as hard. So Mark four came out. I've used that now for, I guess it's about four years, been perfectly happy with that, but the camera is starting to show its age. It's like Mm -hmm. almost time to get a new camera. And I just feel like now is probably the time for me to really explore the mirrorless world and figure out where I'm going to go. But because I'm not, because it's a whole different format, I'm, you know, there's, I guess, and we'll talk about Canon and going over and using adapters versus buying new lenses, because it is an expensive switch to make when you're buying all new gear. But other than that, other than having a, you know, a couple of Canon lenses that I, that I could theoretically sell, I, um, I am wide open to systems and all that stuff. So um, I've got my list of the different features that I that are important to me and the things that I need them for. And I'm excited to have you walk me and the rest of the audience through what your recommendations would be. Awesome. Excellent. And you know, you're not alone and you're not a dinosaur, (laughs) you know, (laughs) well, thank you. (laughs) The 5d4 is a great camera and has been a great camera, but you know, the way that the the camera world, you know, refreshes itself is usually every three to five years. And if you are a working pro, yep. you need to be on that cutting edge tech. And it's an, it's a little bit of an unfortunate thing. You know, those of you who used to shoot film and or still shoot film, you don't really need to replace a film camera. It's, right. it's good for a very long time. Um, but obviously digital technology, even it's really great right now, but they, you're right. They do show their age in yeah. about three to five years. And if you're a pro and you are, you know, you can't disappoint your clients, right? You can't just say, you can't let the tool, the hammer, you know, whatever, you not be getting that nail, <laughs> you know? Right. So, um, so it does, you know, luckily you're making money or hopefully you're making money. So you can put it back in as the investment and keep, uh, and keep up uh, doing what, you, and not being held back really. Uh, yeah. with the tools. Uh, yeah. It is a bit of a jump, you know, from digital to mirrorless, but we're here with the safety net to help. Right. And I figure the way that I plan to do this, so we're going to talk today, I'm going to try out some some cameras. And then my plan is to make uh, a choice and a purchase before, like 
a month or so before my busy season kicks in, which will be in, you know, mid-September, give myself that month to have both cameras and, uh, you know, my old reliable and then the new one so that I'm getting used to sort of like the having it in my hands and making sure that I'm really fast with it. But I would love to be fully switched over by the time that I'm doing all my shoots this fall. So yeah, I'm excited. Well, let's jump in where... I started when I first started talking to you guys, I put together my like wish list of things. And at the top of my list of must haves is that I need good low light functionality. So I photograph families usually, or often at least I'm inside their homes. And in North Carolina, we have like trees that go everywhere. It's just like surrounded by trees all the time. So there's, um, there's not this beautiful, like wide open California spaces that I see in a lot of other people's photos. And so when I'm shooting in some inside someone's home, oftentimes I have my ISO up at like 4,000, 6,400, even I deliver photos for better or for worse. That's a really important feature to me for my cameras. So talk to me. We'll just start the conversation there about general mirrorless ISO capability and then like which you know, which systems might work best. Yeah. So for, I mean, for, for low light uh, image quality, but also focusing, right. Because we want that to happen as well. Um, Gone are the days of the mirrorless slow focusing. That was sort of uh, 15 years ago when mirrorless was first coming out, their focusing was slower than DSLRs. However, uh, so many cameras so many mirrorless cameras right now put the autofocusing on the sensor you mm-hmm. know on, on the chip and use a combination of contrast and phase detect dslrs only use phase detect most of them they're now starting dslrs newer dslrs are actually starting to adapt mirrorless technology of using contrast you know wow. but when the contrast gets low in low light situations you need that phase detection to take over so th- th- right now again there's a lot of good cameras and especially if we hone in on full frame cameras mm-hmm. because full frame cameras do give you the better by one to two stops, higher ISO mm-hmm. image quality. And that's kind of across the board. So, and I do a lot of night photography. So I, that, that's one of the things I always test, right. you know, are those high ISOs. And now everyone is, you know, has different eyes and everyone mm-hmm. has different needs so you and I could be using the same camera and shooting at 6,400, you know, but I'm shooting landscapes in Milky Way. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. Cause the rocks are granular. The sky's granular. You know, there's the Milky Way's got grain in it. And I know how to do my tricks in Photoshop and Lightroom to, sure. to reduce it. Portrait work, which you do a lot of, you really, you know, unless it's a very specific thing where you're <laughs> trying to amplify that grit or grain or something right. like that, you really want to, for the most part, keep that smooth. And I'll say that in my eyes, every full frame camera is good up to 6,400 mm-hmm. ISO. There are a, some of these other ones that can push it a little bit b- beyond that. And again, it depends on your eyes and as well as your skills in post-processing, what you can get away with. Mm-hmm. Um, where we ca- where things get challenging is with micro four thirds cameras. And APS-C cameras, Micro Four Thirds, I feel the cap is 3,200, and some people can't even live with that. Right. Um, APS-C can sometimes get to 6,400. It's, it's, it's a little bit, uh, you know, it's a little bit more subjective to it. It's definitely granular, but you can make it work, I think, uh, you know. Um, but definitely full frame, 6,400 ISO is a safe place to visit and yep. even live in for a little bit. And then you can even kind of, uh, go to 12,800. Now, again, most cameras advertise and use marketing materials that say they go well past that. Sure. They all and, tell you that they exactly. crank it all the way up. I'm talking about deliverable. <laughs> exactly. And, right. and, what, and, and you know, you, you hit at it before where you're saying, hey, I want to get this gear so I can test it, try it. And before I'm really getting doing my paid gigs, I know and I'm comfortable where to go. And that's what I would definitely, you know, suggest to anyone is get to know your gear. Don't get a piece of gear three days before you go on a trip or three days before your assignment. Get right. it a week or two minimal so that you can be comfortable and do a high ISO test in the scenarios that you 
you know, like to live in right. and see what you need to do. And don't just look at this back of the screen, bring it into the computer, look at it hundred percent and also do a little massaging in post because uh, there's great software out there, you know, yeah. that, that really uh, goes hand in hand with, with these cameras. Bonus points for also going ahead and sending off test prints of some of these things because yes. we all want to be able to deliver things that people can print as well. Yeah. Agreed. Um, Agreed. Excellent. So in the, so as long as I can get to 6,400 and, you know, feel safe about that, that's great. And full frame is what I have shot since mm-hmm. my very first camera <laughs> was not, uh, that was an APS-C, but, um, but then I moved into full frame and haven't looked back. So, um, so I get that, but the next piece, and you touched on this a little bit, that is important to me is that fast, accurate focus. And that's actually where I feel like my current camera is weakest. Like I feel it and maybe Mm -hmm. it's user error. Maybe I'm not, you know, maxing out the capabilities that the Mark IV has for focus, but I do feel like I, it's not uncommon, especially with like fast toddlers running around, they don't take direction very well. Um, (laughs) I, you know, it's like, I, I don't like overshooting, but in certain scenarios, I tend to overshoot just to keep, you know, to, to play it a little safe. But I keep hearing like mirrorless is where it's at when it comes to focusing systems. So talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the Canon 5D Mark IV just uses, as I mentioned before, just uses phase detection focus. It's not using contrast focus and it's only focusing on a very small area, right? And maybe half, you know, where every mirrorless camera um, is anywhere from 93% to 100% of your what you're looking at in the electronic or LCD, you know, viewfinder. Yeah. So you could put that autofocus point anywhere. You could get really right. creative compositions. Uh, the tracking is is awesome in all of these right now. So when you match it with the right tracking and speed and the, the, the sort of the most recent thing that's a bit of tech that it that everyone is embracing sony was really leading the way on this but canon and nikon and fuji everyone else now is doing it is the eye focus an eye focus right. for people and pets animals the whole bit right you know so yeah. matter what you do you can get your eye you can make sure that those eyes are in focus because as you know as a portrait photographer if the eyes aren't in focus you're that's it just delete that image you know Hang on, guys. I have a quick message for you. Did you know that This Can't Be That Hard isn't the only podcast I host? Each month, my marketing director, Dana, and I team up to bring you a fresh injection of marketing ideas and inspiration on our other podcast called The Consistency Club. The podcast is free and available to any photographer looking to uplevel their marketing game, or you can take it one step further and join the Consistency Club, where you get the extended version of the podcast along with monthly email and social media templates, bonus trainings, and special access to the live marketing events we host twice a year. If you're interested in tuning in, you can search for and subscribe to the Consistency Club wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to join us in the membership, you can visit go.thiscantbethathard.com club to sign up. So I have a question that is like a super non-techie question about eye tracking focus. Mm-hmm. Um, how do the cameras judge which, so, so let's say you're photographing three people mm-hmm. and you're wide open at one, two or one, four, and they're, you know, at slightly different uh, distances from the camera. Does it select the front eye, like the closest eye? How does it? It generally does, it but you know, it's, it's using computer AI to do this. Right. Yeah. So here's the cool thing. I know Sony's got this tech. I don't know if anyone else has this yet is that Sony does allow you to switch between left and right eye. You can actually, oh. you can override it and say left or right eye focusing, which that's kind of cool because, you know, obviously you have someone kind of towards the side or something a little bit, and you're shooting those 1.2, 1.4 lenses wide open. That's going to make a big difference. Um, yeah. But gen- wow. Generally what you, what you have when you match that eye focus tracking is all those little boxes, you know, the red box comes up, and, but you will get multiple one if it sees multiple eyes on there. You know, again, it depends what mode you're in. You know, if you're in more of a programmable mode, 
let's say aperture priority, then yes, it'll say, hey, I'll choose the aperture for you to then make sure that it has that depth of field. If you're in manual mode, then, you know, you might need to just say, okay, I understand that scene and maybe I should be stopping down to F4 or something like that in order to get that group shot. Right. Yeah, I feel like a lot of my work is not completely wide open, but on the open side, even when I'm photographing multiple people, but that's a look that I like. Mm -hmm. So I don't mind that. However, I am pretty choosy about what's in focus. So I'm just, you know, like any other bit of like tech, there's sort of the bells and whistles side of it. Mm -hmm. And then there's also the functional side of it. Like, I'm curious, and I'm curious to actually just put this to the test. I'm curious to see where I find that balance with this, because my suspicion is I'm not just going to like stop, you know, I'm not just going to turn over all of the decision-making to the, to the camera, right. but it'll be nice to have that as a sort of the backup. Agreed. Agreed. And, and again, when matched with any particular lens, your depth of field is going to be different. So yeah, just like we kind of talked about testing your camera, test those new lenses too and know that, Hey, I need to stop this down to get six inches of depth of field, right. Sure. <laughs> you know, for those group shots and multiple people shots. Yep. Cool. Well, when it comes to the switching back and forth between let's say single point focus and, uh, you know, eye tracking focus or whatever the case may be, that's another piece of, I feel like camera system. So with a DSLR, you're generally talking about a bigger body. Mm-hmm. Is that accurate? That's correct. And so, you know, in my hands, I instinctively know exactly where my fingers need to go to change my focus, to change my, you know, all the different pieces of it. With the mirrorless and the smaller bodies, do you feel like they have done a good job or certain systems have done a better job of making the bodies intuitive and sort of ergonomically correct for for getting good you know switchability in quick circumstances well as you know when you switch from nikon to canon right right is left and left is right with the, it's like <laughs> reprogramming your brain you know so yeah. everyone has definitely different buttons dials and stuff like that yeah you know the, the better ones have the toggles the and you know and the the joysticks the elevated joystick and stuff like that what i will say is most almost all the mirrorless cameras you know uh have a lot of programmable buttons and yeah. yes they're coming especially um nikon and canon they they're they're kind of mindful of that and kind of keeping the layout similar to people to people migrating you know over to mirrorless Um, Mm -hmm. but they also want to use the newest tech. They also want to say, hey, we've got a smaller footprint now. Where does it really make sense? Now that we can kind of redo our cameras, where does it make sense? Where And and, and I will say a lot of the companies have uh, done a a lot of feedback with, you know, with photographers and videographers uh, to say, hey, you know, ideally where, what, what are you using this for and where what, what does it make sense for these buttons to be? But for the most part, almost every button is programmable. So even if the button says, you know, autofocus, you know, your back, it's your typical back autofocus button, you can change that to anything else. You know, right. you just got to get, get, get in there. Um, each menu system is a little bit different and that's a little annoying, you know, um, but, you know, uh, you got to embrace it. You got to get to know it. And then, and then as you spend your time with that stock camera, Definitely take your time to customize the buttons and make it um, fluid for you. Yep. Yeah, that's what long plane rides. A hundred percent. That's where I've, I've read I know. so many manuals, and and just you know, everyone sees me on the plane like cradling a camera and going over everything. But yeah, you get the job done. <laughs> yeah, and you're. I mean, it's like the perfect no distraction zone, yep. right? Yep. Well, good. So the. Next piece. So that's sort of the camera itself and the functionality itself. The other side of my tools that are important to me is how they affect my workflow. So, you know, obviously with any camera that's coming out recently, I'm confident that I'm going to be able to get good print resolution and all that sort of stuff. So that's not a concern really. Um, But on the other hand, I feel like some camera systems have gone so far in the direction of like, look at how many bajillions of megapixels we have. And, you know, you can print this the size of a house. I don't need that. And actually, when it comes right down to it, like, I don't want to have to deal with files that are so large that I'm going to have to be, you know, adding bays to my server every other year. (laughs) 
<laughs> so yeah, I mean, I look at my friends who shoot film, film, not film, films, and I am just in awe of the amount of data, like raw data that they have to manage. I would like to avoid overdoing it on that end. Do you feel like the systems are kind of more or less all the same or is there some wide variety there? So it's great. You know, your needs are common needs for, for the masses. And, and again, the camera companies have listened to, to, uh, to the people. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> Imagine right. that. And um, they have come out with, you know, different versions that offer usually a 20 to 20, 20 to 30 megapixel zone, which I think that's where you would fit in nicely. Um, And then they also offer a 40 to 60 megapixel zone um, that other people might fit more into. Um, And again, what do you get with one or the other? Generally speaking, the 20 to 30 megapixel cameras are going to be better in low light. You know, just mm-hmm. you're, again, imagine this. You're still putting both of those sensors are all the same. That full frame sensor is the same. Now, are we going to put in 20 million, uh, you know, pixels in there? Or are we going to cram in 50 million, tw- you know, over twice as many in there? Right. And the, the, you know, the less you put in, the bigger those pixels can, can be, the more light that they can, you know, take in. And it's just going to make your processor in the camera because you're really, really your camera is a computer. Let's be honest. <laughs> and matched with that processor, you know, you're going to be able to move those things along in a fast way and a clean way and effective way. Now, that being said, uh, some of these higher megapixel cameras are now coming with dual processors, you know, uh, so that's going to help chug it along quicker. And I will say, we'll see, we're going to see what's happening because there are some very interesting cameras, the Sony a one, uh, is specific. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of a little specific to that, but again, also Canon R5, Nikon Z5, and obviously the medium format offerings uh, from Fuji and Hasselblad. Um, but they are doing a better job. It's not as bad as it used to be. And yeah. again, in my testing between the higher megapixel cameras and the sweet spot megapixel cameras, mm-hmm. is those sweet spot megapixel cameras get you about a really a solid stop to a stop and a half cleaner ISOs at those higher ISOs. Uh, again, that that's for me. Um, what you do gain with those higher megapixel cameras, inevitably, is because there's more megapixels, you are getting more dynamic range. You know, yeah. so that's important for a lot of people that are operating, maybe a landscape photographer or something like that, or someone who's offering operating in high contrast areas when you really want to eke out as much information as you can, more megapixels is going to give you more detail, more detail means, you know, better dynamic uh, resolution. Um, And of course, some people just want to sell those 40 by 60 prints, (laughs) you know, Um, which, you know, I think both those cameras can handle, you know, nicely. There's again, different, there's different approaches to how we print that make it all good for all. Um, but unless you're doing billboard or really large stuff, you probably don't need all those mega pickles, mega pickles. We've heard of all at B&H. So that's, that's one of my that's favorites. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think that that makes a ton of sense and is good to hear. And I think, you know, it is funny. It's like the, we spend so much, well, I don't, but these companies are spending so much R&D money and development of these, you know, bajillion megapixel cameras that still are fighting for the clarity of film. (laughs) Like you go back to analog and you get that. So that is not my top priority. My top priority is sort of that combination of low light and storage and all that sort of stuff. And then, yeah, my clients are, I generally don't sell prints that are much bigger than 20 by 30. That's what I kind of, that's my sweet spot. It's what I like in my own home and everything else. So I'm not usually pushing the giant ones, but I've had clients you know, want large prints before. And even with the smaller files that can be done if you're, if you're doing your homework on the print uh, process. And you hit, you okay. hit it a hundred percent too, that if you are, if you do feel that those higher megapixel cameras are what you need, you really need to also assess your computer, your memory yep. cards and your storage, because they right. all will fill up quick. And the computers is the tough one because I've, you know, we talk about, um, cameras, you know, 
needing to be refreshed every three to five years, you all of a sudden throw a high megapixel care, you know, camera, you know, and maybe even dabbling in video and forget about it. Now you need the latest and greatest uh, computer, which that's not a uh, small investment. No, in fact, that ends up being way more in a short period of time than your camera system. So these are all good things to think about. I think uh, just to take it back to when I was switching from Nikon to Canon, the uh, I was shooting, I was a, I had the D700 and there were all these people going to the D800, 800, is that what it is? And, uh, yes. and I was just like, I don't think that I want those files. <laughs> so even, even that, and even then, um, which now seems like ancient history. Okay. So next on my workflow wish list is that in addition to photographing for clients these days, between the podcast and the education work that I do, and just the fact that we're all in Zoom meetings all the time, I do, I would love my camera to be able to do double duty for me for, you know, simple video. Again, I'm not a filmmaker, but to be able to sort of plug and play things like have that be my my webcam, if you will, and that sort of thing is, are there any systems that you would say that's not going to work for this? Or are all of these mirrorless cameras now basically good for that kind of functionality? You know what? The the beauty of mirrorless is that um, it was really kind of, you know, I don't think we knew it, but it was built to be a web camera. (laughs) You know, it was really built to be it. And um, some of them, you need adapters to kind of make sure you get it it, it, it flowing and plugged in, but a lot of them, a lot of them, you could just plug your, you could plug it in USB C into your mm-hmm. computer. Your computer will power it, and oh, you nice. get, you you put usually the, the recommendation is to put a thirty five or fifty millimeter prime lens on because that way you'll get the better, you know, bokeh for your webcam. Mm-hmm. And you know, unlike my room right now, which looks like a mess, you will you see that it's actually a, a beautiful shade of colors. <laughs> you know, um <laughs> just soft soft, palette, soft yep. palette of an office. Um yep. so you know that's that's great. And and um a lot of them uh, also have like a web utility that you can now control it from and, and make ad- adjustments there uh, for that as well. And the focusing does really well. Again, you put it on your eye focus tracking and there you go. You can be moving in and out and stuff like that, where a lot of those web regular web cameras um, don't, you know, can't track you at all. And then once the light gets right. low, it's you forget about it. And also the image quality boost is insane. Now, a, a yeah. lot of these two, now just web as well as web, you, you really only are fine with HD, but then taking it away from thinking it as a web camera, yeah, all cameras since what the Canon 5D Mark II, you know, right. have, have put in video in yeah. there as well. And that has been a great boon for photographers and videographers. Photographers can now dip their toes into that world and videographers can use smaller rigs and have more yeah. and make more intimate, you know, films that get them closer and don't like, don't have to bring a team of six or eight or 10, you know, people with them. Audio is seamless to, to kind of plug into it. And you could sh- shoot 4k as well as, um, as well as HD, usually at 30 or 60 frames per second. Now uh, there are a few cameras like the Sony a seven S three, which is really geared towards videographers. Mm-hmm. I believe can shoot 6k and then the Canon um, R five can shoot 8k which, which yeah. is just insane, you know? Uh, but for those of you who just need a little bit, there's definitely, uh, uh, especially the full frame cameras and the, the latest batch uh, of them um, are, can, can do really excellent um, f- video, both internally or even better, get a, you know, a storage like uh, viewer, like the Atomos Ninja or something like that. And then you can get the raw recorded right to that. And it's, yeah, you could build rigs around all these and everything like that. You know, if you really want to go down that rap, that video hole, <laughs> you know, uh, but right. dual purpose easily yeah. or triple purpose. If we conclude the webcam, the triple threat. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, and I do, I think that it's good because most of us are working within some amount of budget constraint and we do have to think about these things. It's like, okay, great. How can I make this tool? How can I push it as far as possible and how can I get sort of the most bang for my buck? Well, at this point, I'm looking at my list here. I think that you have more or less covered everything. My my last little bit was for my back 
And for my kids, <laughs> when my kids were little, I was carrying, you know, a giant diaper bag. So sticking my DSLR in there and taking it along was no big deal. Now they're 11 and 15. They're embarrassed if I pull anything out other than my phone. And sometimes <laughs> that too. Um, but I, you know, I feel like at this point for both like my shoulders and my back and for just ease of like having it with me when I'm traveling, things like that, I am, there's for sure something about the mirrorless like size that is very attractive to me. But again, unless we start talking about getting into the new mirrorless medium format options, they're all significantly smaller than DSLRs. Is that accurate? That is correct. Um, you know, full frame is a little bit more challenging than the others, right? I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. Olympus, Panasonic, their micro four thirds, those are tiny cameras. And a lot yeah. of wildlife, you know, photographers love that, um, those cameras for that purpose, just because they're using those big lenses, which are now half the size. You know, right. ABSC is also significant weight reduction. But I will say on the full frame market, um, you are saving at least a half a pound from a DSLR to a mirrorless. And then here's the key. You know, obviously, we realize that the lenses need to be the somewhat similar size because they still need to be able to take the light. And then, you know, no matter DSLR or mirrorless, you still need to cover a full frame sensor. However, mirrorless lets that lens get closer because we got rid of the mirror. That lens can get closer to the sensor so you can actually make lighter weight 2.8 zooms or, or, or full frame lenses. And I want to focus a little bit on the 2.8 zooms because, you know, 2.8 zooms usually weigh a pound and a half to two and a half pounds, 7,200. Nobody, everyone has a love-hate relationship with that lens. Yeah, The mirrorless equivalent for most brands shaves off at least a half to three quarters, uh, three fourths of a pound, which is awesome. The lenses tend to be a little fatter, but they're shorter. Um, Mm -hmm. and, And again, the overall weight reduction is significant um, for that. So a big, big difference. We're able, and also we're able to see some really imaginative lenses that never were able, were able to get designed 12 to 24, 2.8 lens, a 14 millimeter, 1.8 lens. Um, Really, Canon's got that 20 to 70 F2 lens. So really, really interesting lenses now that we're kind of using different algorithms to kind of, you know, do this again, uh, and 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 for Nikon and, and Canon, we're, we're just sort of we're watching their their systems mature. Sony's been at it a little bit longer, along with Fuji, you know, and uh, and Panasonic and Olympus. Uh, but adapters also open up their full lineup of eighty plus lenses that they've had previously. Cool. I know it's fun. I really am very excited to sort of dive in and try all this stuff. I have literally not had my hands on a mirrorless camera for the last four years. So I am confident that this is going to be like a whole different thing. So you've heard what I need and what I'm looking for. I would love to hear what your recommendations are. Yeah. So if we stay with a full frame and, you know, again, full frame, low light, low light focusing, as well as low light image quality. um, I think that's going to lead our first always. I always suggest that Staying within an ecosystem that you're familiar with is going to make the best transition. So if you're a mm-hmm. Canon shooter, you're in luck. Canon has a great solution for you. Um, it took them a while, but you know, I would I would point you towards the Canon R6. Um, mm-hmm. That is a 20 megapixel full frame CMOS sensor. It has uh, Canon's technology that they've been using. It was very groundbreaking for its time. It has a dual pixel. CMOS autofocus, and now we're in version two on on this. And I believe this started in their video cameras, but something they adapted to their DSLRs. And again, that, that this is what I talked about a little bit earlier on sensor autofocus. So don't have a mirror in the way, don't have anything like that, and it is really good. Um, Great, over a thousand autofocus points, and it the R six is the only camera or full frame camera, at least I know that can focus in very in, in extremely low light uh their ratings are they, they can go to a negative 6.5 ev which wow. that's really low <laughs> you know usually it's minus three ev which that's pretty dark you know that's like you, you, minus three ev would be the equivalent of like twilight you know you know yeah uh, minus six is like 
that's that's like night, <laughs> you know. So well, when I used to shoot weddings, and I don't anymore, but you know, you're on the dance floor, the lights are off, you're shooting with you know, on camera or off camera flash, but the focus part is the hardest. Yeah, it is. It is. So, and again, it has their eye focus, animal focus, head focus as well. If you, if you know, if you're, the eyes are moving too quick, you can kind of sometimes zone yeah. in on the, on the head focus. Um, it has um, a built-in image stabilization. And this, this is also, we didn't talk about this, but you'll find that. Yeah, I was going to say, yep. I forgot to talk yep. about that. Yeah. But you'll find that in most all of the bodies as well as matched, if you match it with a lens that has that image stabilization, vibration reduction, whatever, then you're going to gain even more um, stops that you can hold it. And I guess that, you know, and with Canon R6, when you match it with one of their uh, RF image stabilized lens, you can get up to eight stops of image stabilization, which that's also insane. I mean, yeah, I personally don't shoot below the 30th of a second, 15th of a second without going into a burst mode and praying a little. But, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> but, you know, there's super creative, uh, a lot of creativity can be coming out of those, you know, somewhat slow shutter speeds. So just a really quick pause yep. for my listeners who may not know this. And I only know this because I was doing some research, trying to not sound like a total idiot when I'm talking to the people from b <laughs> The That's in body image stabilization is new to mirrorless as opposed to, you know, you can't get that in a DSLR and it is that basically takes away the need, or at least it compounds the usefulness of lens image stabilization, Mm -hmm. just meaning that when you're moving, so slow, slower shutter speeds, or, you know, if you're in a situation where you're maybe trying to photograph a table and you're holding your camera up and trying to balance or whatever, that's going to compensate for that. And it's up to five stops. Am I up to, up, up to five stops on its own, but matched with yeah. a lens, the R6 gets up and to eight. Yeah. So, and it's, it, that's and it's, you know, again, this five axis. So again, it's like when we kind of, when, when we press the trigger, right, our camera goes down. Sure. Right. But it's also that X, the Y axis, the yaw. So, you know, no matter which way you move, they got you covered. Yeah, it's the, um, it like turns you into a human tripod. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Okay, so Canon R6. I am definitely excited and I'm excited at the possibility. As I said, I'm open to the potential to switch systems, but I love the idea of being able to keep some of my lenses and use an adapter. Yeah, and one other final thing I'd like to point out about the R6 is the R6 also has a three inch very angle touchscreen LCD. Now, most, I think that's the way we're going. Users have asked for that. Um, the people, um, most, most of, of the other cameras have a like tilting touchscreen, right? Which yep. good for low, but the very angle will let you, uh, do, um, you know, it'll, it'll let you do some vlogging, right. Mm-hmm. And let you actually even be even more creative and get into more comfortable, low angle positions as well as high positions than, um, than usually a just standard tilting, you know, the thing I think where a lot of companies were hesitant about going to a very angle way is because obviously it's, it's, it's a little bit, it's some more parts, it's more plastic parts. So they just worry about the integrity of the camera. So the tilting sure. one, uh, the standard tilting one is, um, technically more sound, but I think, I think very angle is the future personally. Cool. Yeah. You know, it was actually the thing that I missed the very most when I went from my D 700 to the Mark four was my, was my LCD which was never a selling point for me on the 700, but it made such a difference. Uh, you know, I do love to have that adjustability. So that's great. That's exciting. Yeah. Next. So next up, uh, I would say, um, I would like definitely, yeah, we have to think about Sony and Sony's got a ton of options. You know, we, uh, they have their whole a seven lineup, the a seven, is the right standard a7 which they're all at their third or fourth generation which that's awesome right you know canon is really this is the first generation of the r5 and r6 but it's sort of its second generation on the r system uh i think they did excellent job uh the first ones were first ones <laughs> you know uh, mm-hmm. but but definitely sony has been paving the way um and uh, you know whatever it was like five six years ago when they announced the original a7 at photo plus it was like everyone was like, yes, finally, we have a full-frame mirrorless camera. And they've come a long way uh, since then as well. Now, there's a lot of different ways. The A7 is sort of their standard entry-level one. The A7R, R stands for resolution. Um, 
they and you're going to go the R4, which is 40 megapixels. The R5 is, I believe, 50 megapixels. Um, I think I don't think that fits your need. And the A7S is really that's a great low light machine. That is probably the best on the market. However, it's really geared more towards videographers because you really mm. you only have 12 megapixels on that one. Uh, so that one yeah. kind of limits uh, a still photographer a little bit more. Um, but you know what? I think it would be a good fit for you would be actually the Sony A9 Mark II. Now, this used to be their flagship camera. Um, and, you know, especially for sports, it came out, it was really geared towards sports. Um, and you can actually plug in um, with the Sony, you can plug it in uh, to like a, T, uh, a 1000 base T server connection. So this is like, uh, this is very journalistic that you can kind of just plug it into a server, just transfer your files, get them to Getty right away, all that kind of stuff. That's a little much for you, you know, I think. But what it has is it has a 24 megapixel full frame, high speed and stacked back illuminated CMOS sensor. Now, Sony can't make their own sensors, right? So there's a cool mm -hmm. thing there. And they're obviously uh, probably giving, you know, making the best sensors on the market for themselves. And plus they know how to really write the algorithms to it. This backlighting CMOS sensor that's been stacked is like the newest in technology, Um and it's been do doing a great job, especially for the smaller sensors. Like we're seeing better image quality out of these point and shoot, the RX 100 and all these other ones. But it's, right. it's it, that's really doing a good job with that low light and everything with that. They've got the Bions X image processor, which, you know, that powers it through. Uh, they have 4D autofocus, you know, which again, they've been, what's unique about Sony is they have no blackout especially with this camera. And that's something we always experienced, you know, with DSLRs is when that mirror goes up, we don't, we miss, we miss a moment. Um, right. You could shoot 20 frames per second with this camera or in the high continuous mode or 60 frames per, per minute. You can do at a lower speed and not suffer any blackout. Wow. Which is awesome. You know, that's great. You know, obviously geared towards sports, but I think you'd benefit from that for, for little kids running around. At times. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> It's not all the time, but when you want the speed, you definitely want exactly. it. Exactly. And again, similar five-axis image stabilization built into the body, 4K video uh, there uh, with that. Um, this does have the three-inch tilting touchscreen with it. And I, you know, I will say, you know, that there's also the A1 that's out there that is really hard to get and, and is kind of sort of replacing. Uh, Sony on the uh, uh, as their flagship one, mm -hmm. but now we're talking 24 megapixels for the A9 versus 50. Okay, and um, you know, so and those higher ISOs might be limited. Mm -hmm. You know, with that on there, um, it does have you know, and it's also the price point. Let's also be honest. You know, the A A9. We haven't even talked pricing, but that A9 comes in at like four thousand four hundred ninety eight dollars. And mm -hmm. the A1 is $2,000 more than that. So right. you really got to be making your money and really needing the needs yeah. <laughs> of that to do it. But uh, there is some really, that's been a hot camera to get and a hot camera that people are talking about. But mm -hmm. I tell you, I shot my my Sony, my, my good friend at Sony, Jason Mantel, he asked me to shoot his wedding and I, and he works at Sony. So I'm like, well, I have to shoot with a Sony camera. Which one would you recommend? And it, it, you know, he said the A9, you know, shoot with the A9. And I brought the A9 and I brought with a high resolution A7R to this wedding. And it was in a dark restaurant with, as you know, horrible lighting. Now I set up some lights around the room to kind of make it work. But in that low light scenario, that A9 clearly outshined the a7r and i think i was using a three at the time but it clearly outshined it and so that it was i had my dual strap but i was really only using one side of it yep. <laughs> you know and uh yeah so uh that low light autofocus really really excels uh with the a9 um, and the mark ii version of it cool anything else that you would say well give it a shot give a shot to? yeah i mean runners up i, I you know, I'm an icon guy, to be honest. <laughs> and I love the Z6. The Z6 would okay. also be a great match. Um, and I feel that that is actually, for me, and I do, again, night photography. I think that's the best mm -hmm. night photography camera out there. Um, mm -hmm. a, you know, you compare that with the, Ace, with the A7S, 
A7S has 12 megapixels, the A, the, the Z6, and funny how they're both, you know, they're... <laughs> it's so confusing. But, fu- you know, is... These numbers is, just, like, bounce around in my head. I'm like, I have no idea what we're talking about anymore. Exactly. <laughs> but the Z6 has, is double the megapixels, 24 megapixels. And to me, it performs even better at higher ISOs. And these are ISOs. Now with these, I'm getting up to easily to 12,800 and even 25,000, you know, wow. um, 600 on those. Again, that's for my needs for night photography. Um you know, you might not have that need for, uh, you know, for for uh, indoors and stuff like that. Yeah. But I think that's a good one. I think so. But I do, you know, Nikon is, a, you know, when you compare Nikon to like Canon and Sony, you know, because Canon and Sony have been so entrenched in the video world and, and make video cameras and have other things in their portfolio. It's like comparing Hollywood to like independent film channel. Yeah, you know, Nikon is really the independent film channel. They make good stuff, yeah. but they don't have as many resources as as the as the big boys do. Yeah. Um, and so their lens system isn't as mature yet. You know, they're getting better. It's been a tough year all around, but uh, you know, I I would I would consider uh, you know that that one has to be in the consideration the Z six as well. Excellent. Well, I'm going to do my. I'm going to do my homework and, uh, and then we'll look in to see what's available for me to play with. And, um, I'm just, I'm as excited as, as excited as could be about this whole project. And I can't wait to reconnect with you afterward and tell you, I mean, cause like as great as all these specs are, and like, I have no doubt that any of these mm-hmm. cameras do the job. Uh, it's also like, well, let me hold it in my hands and see how it feels and what these images look like when it comes time to edit them mm-hmm. and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, agreed. I mean, gear is like buying shoes. <laughs> you know, yep. we got to try it on, see what fits you, see what fits your eye, your hand, you know, and your vision, you know, yep. your heart, your eyes, all that kind of stuff like that. What is what is going to, again, not hold you back, hopefully inspire you and make it seamless for you to create? Yes. Well, Gabriel, I am just so grateful that you were willing to take the time to chat with me. I feel like I'm a, in some ways, I'm an easy customer because I'm like, yeah, I'm sure it'll all work. But then in some ways, I'm a tough customer because I'm like, I want to know more than just the numbers. I want to know, you know, how this is going to make my life better, how it's going to make me more money. And so that is, that's what we're going to find out in uh, the next couple of weeks. Well, I look forward to hearing about your, hearing your feedback and seeing which one resonates more so with you. Hopefully it's not both of them. You have to get two systems because that wouldn't be. I know. that would be (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yep. I'm not sure I'm quite ready to go there, but we will. uh, I'm sure it's going to be fun to play with them. Um, Well, great. Well, have a great day and I will be in touch really soon. Sounds good. Take care. Okay. Bye. Well, that's it for this week's episode of This Can't Be That Hard. I'll be back same time, same place next week. In the meantime, you can find more information about this episode along with all the relevant links, notes, and downloads at thiscan'tbethathard.com slash learn. If you like the podcast, be sure to hit the subscribe button. Even better, share the love by leaving a review in iTunes. And as always, thanks so much for joining me. I hope you have a fantastic week.